Welcome to the Central Valley Politics Podcast, brought to you from the Student Media Center at California State University's Stanislaus, home to The Signal, student-run newspaper, and 91.9 KCSS, the Valley's true alternative college radio station. You can find both online at csusignal.com or kcss.net. I'm your host, Shannon Stevens. When I'm not hosting podcasts, I'm a professor here at Stan State in the Department of Communication Studies. And whenever we have an election cycle, I teach a class in political communication where we study history and theory as a means of better understanding the rhetoric surrounding current political campaigns. This year, we wanted to reach out to a larger audience to share what we learn about the local candidates we'll be electing in November. In this episode, Claire Zapian, a student from my political communication class, and Alondra de la Cruz, who serves as both an editor at the Signal Student Newspaper and as the program director at KCSS, Join me as we interview City Council Member Stephen Nascimento. Nascimento, a Stan State alum, is running for a seat in the newly formed Turlock District 4. I hope you enjoy today's Central Valley Politics podcast. If you have anything you'd like us to research for you or discuss between now and November 8th, please tweet the signal at CSU Signal or me at Shannon Stevens. That's S H A N N O N S T E V E N S. You can also email us at Stan State Podcasts at gmail.com. Remember, here in California, you must register to vote no later than October 24th. To register online, go to registertovote.ca.gov. Every vote counts, so get out there and make a difference. Welcome to the Central Valley Politics Podcast. I'm Shannon Stevens, your host. Uh, with us today, I have a couple of students who are going to be doing some interviews with Stephen Nascimento. Uh, he is our current city council member who is running for District 4 re-election, and we're very happy to have him here. So I will have the students introduce themselves. I'm Clara Zapian. And I'm Alondra de la Cruz. And so you know, Clara Zapian is from our political communication class. You may have heard her in our last podcast talking about the city council election. And Alondra de la Cruz is one of our editors from our student newspaper, The Signal, and she's also very active at KCSS, our student-run uh, radio station. All right, Claire, do you want to start us off? Yes. What inspired you to run for city council? Well, I was inspired to run for city council uh, initially in 2012. Um, I was very involved in the city's uh, general plan update process. Um, and if you're familiar with our general plan process, it's the document that really establishes sort of the future growth um, for the city of Turlock. And so I was attending the community meetings and at the time was working as a, a city planner for the city of Modesto. Um, and there was actually a proposal that uh, the city of Turlock go west of 99 with residential development at that time. Um, and that was something that I was very concerned about because um, I feel like once you go west of 99, there really is no other boundary. And, and at some point you just kind of grow over prime ag land until you hit Patterson. Um, and I think that would have a very negative impact on the, the city of Turlock. So I was attending those meetings and also attending the council meetings, um, and there was uh, quite a few council members who were supportive of that proposal. Um, and so I decided that, you know what, I need to get involved and uh, decided to run for city council and was elected in, in 2012 and been serving the past four years. Yeah, thank you. And then um, my next question that I have, do you have a philosophy or a guiding principle that you live by? Guiding principle, I yes. love one. That's good. So I, <laughs> I guess my political guiding principle is I'm, I sort of have a libertarian streak. Um, John Mills' essays on uh, liberty are sort of my, my foundation <laughs> for my, my political philosophy. Um, but I kind of live, personally, I live by just sort of do the right thing. Um, I feel like if everyone just was more considerate of one another and did the right thing, that uh, the world would be a much better place. And so I just try to do my part every day. Thank you. 
So what do you think are the biggest issues here in Turlock? I think we face uh, a number of significant issues in Turlock. Um, one of them is, is certainly public safety. Um, Turlock has seen fluctuations in its uh, crime rate over the last couple of years. Um, it seems to be swinging up and down. There's been some things that have been done uh, at the state level uh, with realignment where we've released uh, several uh, prisoners, uh, early nonviolent offenders um, who are coming out, and, and many of them have um, issues with drug addiction, uh, and that really fuels the, the crime in our area. Uh, and drug addiction really is an, an epidemic in our region. Uh, and until we address uh, drug addiction, we'll never get a handle on crime, uh, which is why I've been a, a big proponent of uh, having the city of Turlock's police department re-engage uh, with the Stanislaus County Task Force on gangs uh, and car theft um, and on drugs. Um, those are regional task force. They bring in uh, other resources like the FBI uh, to help us investigate crimes and really take out the bigger players who are really Creating, creating havoc in our communities. Uh, so I think on, on crime, we have to take a more regional approach. Um, I think growth is an issue for Turlock. Um, Turlock has this really great feel to it. I think anybody who, I was born and raised in Turlock, I've, I've seen it firsthand, I've seen it grow. We've maintained that small town feel. Uh, we've invested in our downtown, and I think we've really got a good mix going. And it's important that we nurture that and continue to protect that, because I think um, you know I'm raising two boys, uh, two young children in this community, and I want them to have uh, a great community to grow up in, and so I think we have to have an eye towards the future and make sure that we manage growth in a way that's appropriate and focus on the residential, or the, uh, sorry, the commercial and industrial growth that brings jobs uh, to our region. Yeah, so you, talk, you talked about looking into the future. Do you think there's any issues that Turlock can continue to face, like, in the next four years? Yeah, I think we have some, some short-term uh, challenges and some long-term challenges. Um, the short term, I think um, our budget is an issue. Uh, we recently spent down um, our reserves, uh, and the last budget was a budget that I voted against because I was concerned with the amount of deficit spending that was taking place. And uh, we've spent down our reserves down past um, our emergency reserve levels of six and a half million dollars. Um, and the reason we have that emergency reserve level is because once you go below that, you have trouble uh, with cash flow. And so when we get uh, large grants and the city is required to put up some of that money, sometimes we have to advance that money before the grants come in, um, and we can run into trouble where we don't have enough reserves to be able to do that, and it's an issue. Um, we've since been able to increase our reserves slightly, um, but they're nowhere uh, near where they should be. And back in 2008, the city had a reserve of $18 million. Um, and through the downturn, the economic downturn, we were able to weather that because we had that reserve. So I think rebuilding our reserves is sort of a, a short-term concern. Um, in the long term, I think water is going to be the biggest issue that faces not just Turlock, but our region. Um, there's recently a decision that's being considered uh, to require 40% um, un unimpaired flows in the tributaries that feed the San Joaquin River. Um, we rely on one of those tributaries, the Tuolumne River, and so that is where we are planning to receive a large amount of our water for the future of Turlock. Um, the proposal was to build a surface water treatment plant uh, that would be fed by the Tuolumne, and so if those flow increases happen, there will not be enough water to allow for those flow increases and to provide water to the city of Turlock, which will make us continue to be reliant on groundwater. And so will every other farmer. They'll be reliant on groundwater, and it's basically a race to the bottom, and we're, we'll be overdrafting our aquifers, and we won't have a secure uh, water source for the future of our community. So it's a real, it's a real concern. I see. So why do you think that Stan State students should care about the the sorry the city council? Well, I think they should be engaged. I mean, they I think a lot of the students uh, live in our community. I'm a I'm a proud uh, alum of Stan State. 
Um, you know, we have uh, a few other members on the council who are alums and a lot of our staff. Um, but this is the city that, that they are receiving their education in, and I think they should have a, a say in sort of uh, the things that they would like to see because it's not just about, um, you know, I'm, I'm focused a little bit on sort of what, is, what our children in, in the community need because I'm a, I'm a parent and I have two young children, and so my focus is, is through that lens. Um, but I think college students also bring uh, a perspective that is unique, and they want to see certain things in our community, and we want to appeal to that because at the end of the day, we want to be a college town, um, and we need the input of our college students in order to create the kind of community that they want to, to live in. Um, and then hopefully we provide the, the jobs and the opportunities for them to stay in our community and contribute uh, once they graduate. Awesome. Um, what is your decision-making process when it comes to campaign communication? So campaign communication, uh, we have a sort of a multi-pronged approach. Uh, we're doing a little bit of everything. We're very... Um, active on uh, social media, uh, specifically on uh, Facebook. Um, my philosophy is really reach out to the voters where they are. Um, so you have a lot of voters who are on Facebook. Um, you have a lot of community members who you know aren't on Facebook, and so you have to go door to door and knock on doors. Um, you have other folks, it's easier to reach them on the phone. And so the philosophy is sort of reach voters where they are, whether that's at their door or on the phone or on Facebook. We try to cover all those bases because at the end of the day, I really want to hear the concerns of the constituents I'm looking to represent. And each neighborhood has its own issues. Uh, and I think it's important for me now that the city of Turlock is going to district elections to really understand each specific neighborhood issue, whether it's concerns about speeding on their street or parking. Um, I've talked to a lot of the uh, residential neighborhoods around uh, the campus, and they're concerned about student parking in their neighborhoods during the I day. Why? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so I think it goes back to that. You know, I think, and I think that's something that we can work on with with the students uh, and the university. You know, they have concerns also about the student housing project, which I think is going to be a, a great addition to the community. But we have to make sure that we protect the residents who were there before, and and make sure that that they're able to, to coexist in a way that's um, that's productive. And so for me, I really think it's just about making myself available as much as possible. Um, the literature that I hand out when I'm walking door to door has my cell phone number on it. I give it away to every resident in the district because I want them to contact me. If they have a street light out, I want to know about it. If there's a pothole on the street, I want to know about it. Um, and so that's my process is just to be as, as open as possible and provide people with multiple outlets to reach out to me. Well, that's very personal, and I think that's a positive thing. <laughs> thank so, you. Thank you. Is if I ask a, a quick follow-up question? Um, I was really interested in what you were saying. Um, well, everything you're saying, actually, is really <laughs> interesting. So uh, one of the things I wanted to talk to you about, though, um, you mentioned drug addiction as a growing issue in our community, which I assume also ties to poverty and homelessness and right. all sorts of things that intertwine. Um, and you talked about uh, improving our policing, right, to work right. On, on gangs and interrupting the supply um, do you have other solutions that you or the city council are thinking about, a mental health treatment, any sort of non-policing way to take care of addiction? Sure. I think it's a two-pronged approach. We have to enforce the rules on the books. Um, you know, we have laws in the city of Turlock, and we whether people are, are homeless or not, or whether they have drug addiction or not, everybody is needs to abide by the laws. Uh, so I think one part is is the policing part, is that uh, we have to enforce the no camping ordinances in our park, um, and we have to enforce um, other laws like our shopping cart ordinance that doesn't allow folks to walk around with shopping carts, um, because those are concerns to, to our residents, and we should enforce those. The other part of that is um, helping those folks who are in real need. 
Um, and we don't want to just send them to jail. Um, it's not a solution. They turn around, they're out in a few days. It just, it just becomes a revolving door. Um, so one of the things the city of Turlock has worked on uh, and that we're very proud of is um, a program uh, that allows us to work uh, with the homeless. Um, it's called the Diversion Program. And the Diversion Program basically allows them to volunteer to do community service instead of facing um, other criminal penalties. Um, and we've worked with the Turlock Gospel Mission on this program. And it really allows them to give back to their community and take some ownership in their community. Um, and many of, of the participants um, who have engaged in the diversion program um, tend not to be repeat offenders after uh, participating in the program. You still have a small segment of that population that just doesn't want to abide by the rules, and that's where the policing um, side comes back in. One of the other things we're doing is we have a mental health professional with uh, Stanislaus County uh, who is riding along with our officers um, on a semi-regular basis. I think it's at least um, once or twice a month. Uh, and just doing outreach to our homeless population and making sure that they have the mental health services that they need because a lot of times um, it's drug addiction or mental health or a combination of the two. Uh, and it's, it's a serious issue. I mean, we have a methamphetamine epidemic in, in our communities and it's something we have to address because those things do fuel a lot of the, the petty crime uh, that we see in our community. Thank you. Thank you for explaining that so clearly. Um, the other question I have for you relates to what you're saying about your outreach methods, which sound wonderful. I love to hear about people going door to door and using social media in a way to create those connections. Um, but one of the things that we're, we're trying to do with our podcast and trying to do uh, with our student newspaper is to um, get young people more and more engaged and help them to understand um, how important it is. And you address some of that in your um, answer to Alondra. But um, with the presidential election being so very ugly, frankly, yeah. the rhetoric of that campaign. Um, it, how do you combat that and get young people today, the millennials, the people who are students here at Stan State, to understand um, that all politics is not that, that what city council does is vital to their lives and it's vital that they participate? How do you, how do you get that across? Sure. I would say to them that local government um, serving on the city council is not politics. It's public service. Um, and I think we should uh, we should reach out to our young people and encourage them to engage in public service, whether it be getting an internship with the city and learning about the process um, or taking courses that help them understand um, what the local government process is like. You guys have a wonderful master's in public administration um, program here at Stanislaus. would encourage anyone who's interested in public service to look into that program. Um, but it's also, I think they can learn by, you know, it, you have to sort of block out the national nonsense. I mean, I think this is, as you said, a very uh, negative national campaign. It has turned off a lot of voters. But there's still a lot of very important issues that are going to be on the ballot this November that I think um, young people need to, to have their voices heard on. There are, I think, 11 propositions being proposed. Um, and so I think it's important that they uh, have their voices heard on those. Thank you. So that comes back to me. My question is, do you consider yourself a liberal or a conservative? Oh, you know what? I think I'm really somewhere in between. So a little bit of my background, I worked um, for a former congressman, uh, Dennis Cardozo, who was based out of Merced, who's a Democratic congressman. And I also served as a district director for its state senator, Anthony Canelo, who's a Republican state senator. Um, and I am a Republican, but I feel that um, I've I don't really abide by uh, any type of label. I, I think if I was to describe myself, I would say that I'm um, fiscally conservative, sort of a business conservative, uh, but socially um, very accepting. And it, for me, I focus on the issues that matter to people's pocketbooks, 
and uh, I sort of have a libertarian streak when it comes to um, issues re revolving around people's personal liberties. So. Okay, thank you. And then my next question, um, you've already been part of the city council, so could you tell us a little bit about your voting record and what you've accomplished already being part of it? Yes, thank you. Um, one of the uh, things that um, I really pushed um, being a member of the council after my first year on the council was trying to bring uh, campaign finance reform to the, to the city of Turlock. Um, at the time, we had no campaign finance rules whatsoever. Um, and you could literally contribute $20,000 to a council member one day, and they could vote on your issue or your project the very next day. Um, there was no rules that prohibited that. There, frankly, there still are no rules that prohibit that. Uh, and it was a real issue. And so for me, what I was trying to accomplish is establishing a, a very simple rule that if you had contributed uh, $2,000 or more to a council member in the past, in cumulatively over the past four years, that uh, that council member would not be able to vote on any issue that financially benefited you. Um, so it didn't place any limitation on donors. They could still contribute as much money as they wanted to, but they should know there should be no expectation that that council member can, can vote on issues that benefit them. Um, unfortunately, I wasn't able to get the support of enough of my fellow council members. Um, the vote went down on a 3-2 vote, um, and since then the council has adopted um, voluntary campaign contribution limits, um, set at $1,000, uh, but they are voluntary, um, and we sign a pledge to comply with uh, that uh, voluntary limit. I have signed that pledge, and I have abided by that uh, voluntary limit, but some of the candidates have chosen not to sign that pledge and, and not to abide by um, that limit. Actually, I think the ones who didn't sign the pledge are still abiding by it on their own anyway, but um, it was put together sort of very haphazardly. It wasn't something that I supported. I wanted to see mandatory uh, either mandatory limits or a mandatory uh, conflict of interest provision that would keep council members from voting on that. So that was one of the, the big things that um, that I took on uh, on the council. But we've also uh, done, a lot of, done a lot of good things to encourage uh, new businesses in Turlock. Uh, I don't know if you saw the paper today, we're getting a Hobby Lobby, which uh, I know a lot of arts and craft folks are very <laughs> excited about. <laughs> um, but we're also finally getting, uh, we're, we're hopeful, it seems like everything's going in the right track to get our 10-pen fun center, which uh, would provide uh, bowling lanes, uh, arcades, um, and it sounds like it's got a little bit of something for everybody. And so we're excited to get that because one of the one of the big complaints I've heard since being on the council is that there isn't anything for sort of teenagers to do. Uh, we have a lot of great sports and recreation programs for children sort of under the age of 14, but from that 14 to 18 sort of um, age group, there's really just not much uh, for them to do. And if they don't have anything to do, that's sort of a good age to get into a lot of trouble. So <laughs> we want to make sure that they have uh, positive outlooks. Thank you. So you already spoke about how uh, the 10 cup rules for campaign finance, how it wasn't approved. Uh, were you disappointed? I was disappointed. I was very disappointed. Um, Modesto has had a 10 cup ordinance for, I think, over 20 years. Um, and I think it serves as a, as a model. I mean, my, the reason I brought the tin cup ordinance uh, forward is that being on the council, you would often hear comments about politicians being bought and paid for and that they don't care. I mean, those of us who serve on the council, we get a $500 a month stipend. It's not a full-time <laughs> job. Um, it's certainly, you know, it's, it's nothing to, it, it helps cover the cost of going to the events that we have to attend as elected officials. And so it's helpful. Um, but there really isn't anything in it for folks. And so I felt that, that was a very unfair characterization of any of the council members, that they were somehow on the take. Um, and so I wanted to create a policy that would ensure Turlock residents that, listen, there is, there is no pay to play in Turlock. If somebody receives a contribution over a certain amount, they cannot 
vote on that person's issue and that to really just alleviate that perception. And I feel that's something that's important. I think we have to restore faith in government um, because of all the state and national scandals that we see. I think people at, at, at least should have be able to have faith in their local government. And I think it's incumbent upon us to create the atmosphere and the rules to allow them to have that faith and to ensure it. Thank you. So moving on to another topic, the farmer's market. Yes. <laughs> Why do you think the community was so upset about the farmer's market bid last year? Yeah, I th there are a lot of reasons to be upset. Um, <laughs> frankly, I was pretty upset by it. Um, the nonprofit Turlock Certified Farmer's Market had been operating in downtown Turlock for seven years. Um, they started the market um, after um, other groups had tried to start a market and they had failed. And the nonprofit group was was building a market from scratch. Um, it was becoming more and more successful. Um, I believe it started on a Thursday night and then moved to a Friday and then to s Saturdays, which is a very difficult thing for a nonprofit um, farmer's market to do is to establish a Saturday market because you're trying to attract vendors from everywhere. And those vendors have a choice on where they go. And Saturdays are prime days. And so they will go to the market where they think they can make the most money. Um, and the nonprofit certified farmer's market had created that relationship with those vendors um, to ha give them the faith to come and operate on a Saturday. And it was a huge success. And downtown businesses were reaping the rewards of that. They were seeing huge increases in sales. Uh, we saw it in sales tax revenue increases downtown. Um, and the community loved it. Um, I would go out frequently, my wife and my children, we would go to the, the farmer's market. And it was just a great community event. I mean, it just had something very special about it. Uh, and people were very passionate about it. So when the council decided that it was going to entertain a competing bid for a for-profit company to come in and run that market, um, I think people were very much concerned about why would we supplant a successful nonprofit market that was running effectively, uh, the community loved, why would we even consider this? Um, and I understand that we have to have a process to decide these things. And so what I was asking the council to consider was to allow the existing nonprofit to continue to run the market this year while we took our time to develop um, a process that would allow for a competitive bid if we wanted to go that way. But I really feel like the solution should have been uh, originally two markets in Turlock where the, the nonprofit market would operate downtown on Saturday mornings and a second market could operate downtown or anywhere, anywhere else in town, frankly, on a, on a Thursday evening uh, or any day of their choosing to, to have someone else come in and basically say, I want to run the same day, time, and location as the existing market. I think the perception was that it was an attempted takeover of the market. And I think that's why you saw a lot of the, the backlash from the community that we saw. Okay, thank you. Is there something that you didn't get a chance to do while being part of the Turlock City Council? Um, sorry, if there's something that no. you didn't that you <coughs> haven't done yet and you get reelected, what would it be? Is there something that you could do? Yeah, I think there are, there are a lot of things. I mean, four years goes by very quickly. Um, you know, but there are there's some of the things are just little things. One of the pet peeves I've and I've I've tried to work with our council on this is. Um, and it's a little thing, I'll admit, but it's one of those pet peeves, so I have to talk <laughs> about it. But if you go into it, you go into a parking lot, um, and you have the single striping between the parking spaces, and you get you get to your car, and you have the guy who's parked right on the line. You can't get your door open, or you've got a you can't park in that space because someone's cheated over too far. There is uh, there is a standard. It's called double stripe parking, where the parking spaces are basically the same size, but there are sort of the two lines, and it's rounded at the end, mm -hmm. and it basically creates sort of a buffer, and it's a mental thing where it forces the cars to park 
in the middle of the spot. And we have a lot of retail areas in Turlock. And I think if you come to a retail shopping area in Turlock and somebody dings your door, you may not have a positive experience. And I think it's a very simple policy change to say, we're going to require double stripe parking so that people have a better parking experience in Turlock. <laughs> and I, for the life of me, I don't know why I can't get the rest of my council members to agree with me that we should change our policy to this. <laughs> But I haven't been able to do it. It's just it's one of those little things that just, you know, you don't make a big issue of because it is a small thing. But it's like, come on, guys, there are so many simple things that we can do through policy um, that can make our residents' lives better. And that's really is what has gotten me into wanting to do public services. I served as a city planner with the city of Modesto for a number of years. And I saw what you can accomplish through design and through policy and the impact it has on people's lives. Um, one of the things we used to say as planners is that if you're doing your job correctly, nobody should notice, right? It's just everything will be pleasant. You're driving down the street and everything's green and everything is designed well and people are able to cross the street without getting run over and they're able, everybody just sort of goes along their way and it works. And that's what happens when you're doing things correctly. Nobody should notice that anything is out of place. Um, and so I think as council members and, and one of the things that I want to continue to work on is improving our design standards to really allow our community to work better uh, whether that's um, setting back homes closer to the, the sidewalks to encourage uh, more interaction with other neighbors, front porches that encourage people to sit on their front porch and keep an eye on their neighborhoods, better lighting standards to reduce crime. I think a lot of the things that we see in terms of public safety can be addressed through smarter design. Um, and there actually is policing policies that encourage smarter design uh, to reduce uh, criminal activity. And so working on uh, design standards and really just encouraging us to rethink the way we've done things and look for, for better ways to design our community for a better future. Thank you. I fully support your double-lined parking idea. <laughs> <laughs> That's, I don't know anybody who's really against it, but I just can't get it to go for some reason. It <laughs> really would be a fantastic addition to the downtown. So um, I wanted to talk to you about a couple of the measures that are coming up on the ballot yes. so we could get your insights. Um, the first one I want to talk to you about, well, is a pair, the N and O for the Turlock Unified School District bond measures, the ones that are aimed at um, improving the area elementary and high school infrastructure. Can you yes. give us your take on that? Yeah, you know, as a parent, I think I'm a little bit biased because my kids are going to be going into the school system soon. And so I see it as a smart investment for me to vote yes on that because uh, my children will, will benefit from that directly. Um, you know, but as a taxpayer, I also just got my property tax bill and I see a lot of the other um, bonds that have gone forward and, and we're still paying those down. And so I understand, um, I think people are, there's a little bit of tax fatigue and bond fatigue. Um, and it's really unfortunate they send out those uh, those tax bills right before the ballots arrive. But I think it's a good reminder that here are all the additional taxes you're paying. And I think it's incumbent upon the school district and the council, frankly, anytime you have a tax like that, to make sure that you reassure the residents that it's being put to good use. And I think the Toronto Unified School District has done a good job of, um, of providing those assurances. And so I'm going to be supporting that measure. Thank you. Um, the second one I wanted to talk to you about is uh, Measure L, and that's the sales tax increase aimed at improving local transportation issues, which um, for the first time in a long time has um, largely some bipartisan support, which surprised me. So I was hoping you'd give us some insight on that, especially with your planning background. Yeah, Measure L, I mean, the Stanislaus County has been trying to pass a uh, half-cent sales tax measure for roadway improvements for a long time. I think this is the third or fourth attempt. Um, I was actually part of a group um, a few, two years ago that tried to pass a local sales tax measure for roads in just in Turlock, this is Measure B. Um, and unfortunately, we were about three percentage points short of the, the threshold we needed. It was a dedicated sales tax, so we needed 66% um, um, approval, and I think it received 63%. 
Um, but yeah, Measure L, I think, is the, the best iteration of the countywide sales tax measure that has come forward. Um, it, I think, does a good job of balancing local roadway improvements and uh, new projects um, of particular interest to the city of Turlock is the South County Corridor, uh, which will allow for better uh, movement of goods and services in our community and out of our industrial park, uh, which I think will help us attract uh, new industrial users and manufacturers, and uh, that's a big part of our, our job space. So um, I'm supporting Measure L, and uh, I would encourage residents of Turlock to do so as well at some point we have to invest in our roadways. And by having a, a, a dedicated sales tax uh, measure for roads, it actually allows us to leverage additional state and federal grant funding uh, because we'll have matching funds at the local level. And we don't have access to those grants uh, currently because we don't have the revenue at the local level to, to provide those matching funds. So it'll really allow us to uh, get a better bang for our buck, if you will. Fantastic, thank you. Um, and one little follow-up question for you based on a lot of the things that you've been talking about. Um, reminded me of um, property taxes um, and the cost of housing here, um, which is so high in part because of that bleed from the Bay Area, um, which really affects us in all kinds of yeah. ways. And you've talked about smart design and all sorts of things that seem very related to that to me, including improving our roadways. Is there anything that our city council can do to make sure that people like me, professors here at Stan State, can actually afford to buy a house and live here? Sure. We, we have several different housing programs that provide uh, low-income housing uh, in the city of Turlock. Um, we receive a lot of uh, state and federal grant funding uh, for those types of projects. But I think there's sort of this broader question of affordability that isn't necessarily folks who are living at or below the poverty line. It's about um, you know people who are making a median income and just can't afford to buy a home in Turlock. And it's a, it's a real problem. So I was my wife and I were very young when we purchased our first home, and uh, you know it was tough and it was scary. And so I understand... Uh, you know, I have a, a brother who just graduated from Stanislaus State. He's just got his first job, and he's trying to buy a house. And it's there's not much out there for somebody who's on a single income. Um, so I get it. Uh, I think what the city uh, can do is we can encourage um, higher-density development, um, smaller homes on smaller lots. Um, those are just end up being a, a, a more affordable product. Um, and frankly, it's a better design for our community. Not everybody needs a 12,000 square foot lot and a 3,000 square foot home. Um, and you have a lot of um, older residents in Turlock who are also looking to downsize. Uh, and so I think that type of housing type really meets um, a, a lot of different needs in our community. And we should be encouraging uh, that housing type because it is more affordable. Um, but at the end of the day, the biggest factor for me in affordability is the market forces. I mean, at some point, when I worked for the city of Modesto, I was updating, we were working through our housing element update, and you have to designate sort of how much of your housing stock is should be considered affordable and it was right before the downturn and it was like something I think it was about like 11 percent maybe of the housing stock in Modesto was affordable to the residents in Modesto um, after the crash like 90 percent of the the mm -hmm. homes in Modesto were affordable to the residents and so I think there are the fluctuations and there's little that we can really do about that but in the long term I think by encouraging different housing types uh, whether that be lofts in our downtown um, condominium uh, type projects or just smaller lot, smaller home development. Um, I think that really helps with affordability. Thank you. Great answers. Thanks. Do you have any political aspirations beyond the city council? I do not. You know, I've actually, I've worked with, uh, as I mentioned, I worked with a uh, U.S. congressman. I worked with a state senator. I've seen um, state and federal politics up close, and I've seen 
what it requires of individuals, and it's it's a tough job. Um, and frankly, it's not something I would want to be doing with small children. And so, I think for the in the short term, um, I'm going to be focused on my community and my family. Uh, and maybe one day when my kids are out of the house, um, I might might change my mind. But for now, I my focus really is just on on Turlock and, and my family. Thank you. Is there anything else that you want to add that we didn't get to? No, I just I think this is great. I'm glad that you guys are doing this. I, I, I'm a big fan of uh, podcasts. I listen to quite a few. And I was just thinking the other day that you know, someone should do a podcast on Central Valley politics. But then I was wondering, I'm like, well, I don't know who would be willing to talk about the kind of things that probably need to be talked about. Uh, but I'm glad you guys are doing this. I think it's great. You. And um, I just want to say that if, if there's ever an opportunity for me to come back and talk to you guys, there's ever an issue going on at City Hall that you want some insight on, I'd love to come back. This is really fun. Oh, thank, thank you, you for that. That's fantastic. We'd love to make yeah. it a regular thing. <laughs> Seriously. Yeah, great. Give me a regular segment. I might take you up for that. <laughs> All right. Sounds good to me. <laughs> so I'm um, looking from like five to ten years from now, um, looking into the future, what would you want to be known for? Wow. That's uh that's heavy. Let's see. <laughs> like what would you want your legacy to be? Yeah, I, I guess I I kind of go through the day to day and trying to just do good and do what's right. Um, and I think if there was any legacy um, that I leave in, in Turlock is really to establish um, smart growth patterns for the next 50 years that ensure that 50 years from now, residents look back and say, hey, I don't know who was responsible for this, but somebody did was, was thinking ahead and really planned ahead. And we still have a community that will be larger, we'll have more people, but still has that, that small town feel. And we have a vibrant downtown and we're known still as being a jewel of the Central Valley. And so for me, I, th I think it's about setting us up for success in the future. And that is done through uh, long-term planning. And, and that's something I'm very passionate about and really continue to be focused on. Thank you. Thank you so Thanks. much. Steven Nascimento, our serving city council <laughs> yes. member, who's Thank also so running much. for election <laughs> for District 4. Thank you again. Um, I'm Shannon Stevens, your podcast host, and I've been joined Zapian. by... Yeah, Claire Zapian and Cut Her Off. That's my name. <laughs> <laughs> and Alodra de la Cruz. And I'm Steven Nascimento. Thank you guys for having me. We hope you found today's Central Valley Politics podcast instructive and enjoyable. Special thanks to our producer, Mariah Esparza, and our engineer, Kyle Rankin, for pulling all this together. And of course, a big thank you to Stephen Nascimento for taking the time to talk to us about the important issues facing the city of Turlock today and tomorrow. Remember, if you have anything you'd like us to research for you or discuss between now and November 8th, please tweet the signal, at CSU Signal, or me, at Shannon Stevens. That's S-H-A-N-N-O-N-S-T-E-V-E-N-S. -N -N -E -E you can also send an email to stanstatepodcasts at gmail.com. If you'd like to read more about the candidates, check out their Facebook pages and coverage of the candidates in the Turlock Journal and the Modesto Bee. We provide links to our Stan State student media websites, kcss.net and csusignal.com. Thanks for listening. Be sure to check back soon for more updates from the team at Central Valley Politics. This is Shannon Stevens at Stan State, where we're doing our part to save the vote. <laughs>